All right. Matthew chapter 5. Stand with me, please. Matthew chapter 5. We're in the Beatitudes. We're in Matthew chapter 5, going verse by verse, bit by bit, through the greatest message ever preached. I'd like you to read with me Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. So, if you have your Bible, which you should, and if you can stand, which I hope you can do, let's read aloud, starting in verse 1, Matthew chapter 5, together. All right, begin. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, are just barely into the Beatitudes. We're looking at eight things that are so different than how we ever thought Christianity or that our lives could ever reflect, and yet they are the way of the kingdom. They are how to live in the kingdom. They are the blessings of the kingdom. Lord, we need that. The kingdoms of this world, kingdoms of our own making, crumble and are are, are full of, of flaws, but your kingdom is perfect, and I'm glad that you give it to us freely. Lord, if only we would enter into it and stay in it, we would enjoy it, we would live it, and, and um, God, I pray that you teach us something new, something fresh, something helpful, even though it's so old and, and so established, God, I pray it would be fresh to us this morning. I pray that you would just meet with us. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. I'll also ask you, you've looked at Matthew chapter 5, go back to Proverbs chapter 30. While you're turning there, Proverbs chapter 30. I'm going to make some introductory remarks. If you hadn't noticed it yet, our culture is drenched in sin. You know the word drenched. It's an Irish word. <laughs> it soaked to the bone. Our culture is drenched, it is, sep it is saturated in rebellion against God and against His ways. What our culture honors is opposite to what is actually good and healthy for us. Our culture honors evil. It honors murder, selfishness. Is that me or you? Okay. It honors anger getting revenge. It honors experiencing everything sinful possible as long as you just don't get killed. It mocks marriage and honesty and innocence, and most of all, our culture mocks purity. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12 says this, There is a generation, and we're living in it now, that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. You see that? Kind of unique how, how up-to-date the Bible is. Our world 
and especially Satan, strives to overwhelm our emotions in this day and age with guilt, and then it tries to convince us that guilt is wrong. They create the greatest psychopathic generation that has ever existed since Sodom and Gomorrah because in their heart is guilt, and yet in their eyes and in their education and in their homes and in their culture it is, you shouldn't feel guilty. And so people are absolutely coming apart at the seams because you can't handle that. There is at least, there used to be a hunger, a yearning deep within the heart of every person to be clean on the inside. We demand it of just about every area of our life except our heart. Think about that for a minute. We expect every place to be clean. We expect everything to be clean. We want the water that we drink to be pure, amen? We expect that in the hospitals we end up in for surgery that they're clean, amen? We expect the foods that we eat are not mixed with bugs and dirt and everything else. The air that we breathe, we expect to be clean. You know, when you open up a human body for surgery, it requires a level of cleanliness that we can't comprehend. Our kitchens are, are nightmares for, for bacteria and everything. What happened with our desire to be clean in our heart, in our thoughts, and in our imaginations? What went wrong? Let me just say this. It used to be that TV and radio programs were by law required to be clean. Amen? So that all ages could enjoy the media. Now, nothing is enjoyable unless it is constantly building to something sexual or something terrifying or something shameful or something deadly. But to top it all off, here we have a statement by Jesus is blessed are the pure in heart for they get to get the ultimate experience. They get to see God. Believe me, everyone one day will stand before God and see him as he is. But most will not see him on good terms. So far we have learned five of the, of the beginning uh, of the eight Beatitudes, we've learned that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn and grieve. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at blessed are the pure in heart. Each one of these things honors a way of life from God's perspective. A way of life from the kingdom perspective. It's not normal to live this way. It's not even natural to live this way. But there are such promises and, and, and uh, such great rewards living this way. So I want to talk to you about what I've learned about being pure in heart. There's no way exhaustive. I have tried to read and, and spend time trying to ponder what it means because I live in a generation that doesn't know purity, not in heart. We are a generation that has more CCTV cameras per square kilometer. It is terrifying to know how much you are being watched. My generation, all I knew is my mom knew what I was doing even though a mile away. <laughs> the more we get away from God, the more we have to watch each other, don't we? 
The more we get away from God's laws and the more that we live in our natural way and, and, and for our natural sin, the more the world emphasizes the wrong kinds of things and, and tries to clean everything except the heart. So I want to talk to you about being pure in heart. Go to Matthew chapter 23 because it is very important to have a pure heart. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verse 25. <clears throat> Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These were, these were people who owned Bibles personally. They made copies of the Bible. They read every letter of the Scriptures. They tried to keep the law. And Jesus says, hypocrites. Why? For ye may clean, what side of the cup? The outside of the cup. And you make the platter so presentable, so pretty, so beautiful. But within, they are full of extortion and excess of grime. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes! And Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like unto whited sepulchers. A sepulcher was a graveyard. It was a tomb. It was a place where dead people were kept. And you're like a tomb that has been painted over the most beautiful white. And it's just, you can put flowers on it. It's got monuments around it, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within, but are within full of what? Dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. Do you see that? But within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So it is very important to have a pure heart, Jesus is saying. It is actually priceless. You can't put a price on having a pure heart. To be pure means to be undefiled, unashamed, soft, sensitive in the very, sense, in the very center of your soul. Without a pure heart, love will only ever be lust. Patience will only be short. Sacrifice and suffering will be unbearable. And your Christianity will only be a show. Our world's culture seeks the wrong things 24-7. They don't seek cleanness. They seek pleasure only. They don't seek gentleness, but hardness. They don't seek service toward one another, but pride only in self. They don't seek softness, but numbness and apathy. They don't seek truth, but a constant cover-up of the growing amount of sin in our hearts. I find that today, take your Bible, turn to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, I find that today fewer and fewer people are even able to be honest about their own sins. Hebrews 3 in verse 13. And that includes Christians. Hebrews 3. They've been so hardened. I thought my teenage years, I thought my generation was hard. But this generation today is the hardest I could ever imagine a human heart could be. Hebrews chapter 3 down to verse 13. The Bible warns this. It says, but exhort one another. You know what it means to exhort, don't you? 
That's what I'm trying to do to you now. It's to urge, it's to prod, it's to provoke you, it's to encourage you in a different way, to go a different way. He says, exhort one another, how often? Daily. Don't wait till next Sunday before you hear somebody help you do right. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, not tonight, tomorrow, but do it today, lest any of you Christians be what? Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Today our world and our culture is defiled. It is filthy in every way. Our culture today in Ireland seeks to educate children at a younger and younger age about almost every detail about sex and reproduction and abortion and incense, incest and bestiality and gender identity confusion. What does an eight-year-old need to learn any of that for? But our, our society, our educational system is determined to defile younger and younger children. Amen, amen, and amen. Our society and our government does not wish to protect anything except our right to sin now. There's no protection anymore. There just this past week, an ungodly event happened in the state of New York where the, the, the governor approved a bill that removed all the limitations on having an abortion up to the moment of birth, which means if you're in labor, if the baby is coming and the mom says, I want it dead, they can stop the procedure of natural birth and they can execute, they can murder a child. And that's our generation. They, our government and, and our world has decided that the only thing that there's no, there's nothing pure that needs to be protected except our rights to do wrong. Strange, strange world. Basically, nothing is pure anymore. Go to Titus chapter 1. You're in Hebrews, go back to the left, find Titus, just a few pages. Chapter 1 and verse 15. <clears throat> misery loves company well so does defilement you know when you've gotten so used to sin you don't want to mm -hmm. hang around with somebody who's not sinning when you're a drinker you don't hang around with people who don't drink amen when you're a smoker you don't hang around with people who don't smoke it puts guilt on you it makes you feel uncomfortable and uh, uh, listen the Bible says this in Titus 1 15 under the pure all things are Pure. I mean, we just love everything that's pure. But under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure anymore. But even their mind and their conscience, that's their heart, is defiled. Now, what does it mean to be defiled? Well, I've already implied it. It means spoiled. Something's been stained or ruined or polluted or dirty. Imagine you're, you're, you're buttering your toast, all right? And, and you put that butter and you reach over and the toast falls and it always falls butter side down. You ever notice that? Always. Now, I know what you do when you reach down and you pick it up, you give that to your kids. <laughs> toast is ready. You, know. <laughs> you wouldn't eat it, would you? It's been soiled, amen? Isn't that right? 
come in from outside and you don't pay attention to what you're walking on and you walk right on that fresh, clean white shirt your wife just uh, washed and ironed and it fell off the back of the chair and you walk right in and go, well, that's not a mat. <laughs> that's defiled. Getting ready to sip a cup of tea and you pull it up and there's a fly swimming in it. It's been defiled. You don't push it to the side, do you? Not at all. Second Peter now. Second Peter. Go to the right, go to the other side of Hebrews. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. What does it mean to be defiled? Well, look at our generation. It's been this way throughout history, but nothing like now. You don't have to go beyond your pocket to watch filth. Amen? You don't have to go home. You don't have to sit in front of the television. You don't have to even pay for special channels to show you filth. You can find it for free in your pocket. Amen? On your phone. 2 Peter 2.14 predicts this and says, Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, tricking unstable, unstable souls and heart. They have exercised with covetous practices, and they are what kind of children? Cursed children. Go to James. You're in Peter. Go back to the left. Find James chapter 4. We say, that's to describe me, pastor. Really? James chapter 4. Can't turn off the TV at night. Can't get the victory over to pornography. Yeah, Christians battle with that stuff. James chapter 4 and verse 4. This is, this is written to believers. And James calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Now, he's not talking about physically, even though they could have been. But he's dealing with spiritually saying, you say you love God, but according to 1 John chapter 2, you're more in love with the world. You say you're married to one woman, and yet you like looking at the ones on the internet. You like hanging around with the girls down at the office. It's an adultery. Amen. And it says, uh, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that just the friendship of the world is enmity. Enmity is war with God. Just like it would be with your wife if she found out. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God, dear Christian. We're defiled. Look at verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. You double mind. Make up your mind whose side you're on. What, what kingdom are you living in? Kingdom of the internet? Kingdom of the friends? The kingdom of this world? You're going to be in the kingdom of God. Purify your hearts. And that's, I believe that's why today's churches. Bible-believing churches are empty for the, for the most part, struggle along with few people. I'm not saying this is few, but generally, Bible-believing churches have almost no number compared to the numbers that have the laser light shows, have the rock music, the hipster preachers, you know, the guy that wears a, a shirt untucked. How would you, would I, should I do that? Just untuck my shirt, hang it down, take off the jacket, you know, roll up my trousers, you know, wear multicolored socks so that I'm well accepted by all groups, you know. And, and um, you know, maybe poke my hair up, you know, how everybody's doing and everything. 
Churches today are filled with hipster preachers and swinging worship leaders instead of hard-hitting, unpopular, Bible-preaching men who do not fear upsetting people when speaking about sin. Amen. The, this, this beatitude is extremely serious. I believe that as Jesus is going through these eight beatitudes, he's building and building and building to the harder and harder levels of, of Christianity. And we thought that, oh, it's just loving our neighbor. Oh, it is just, it's just getting along and, 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 and being nice to one another. It's all just, it, it's God just accepts as we are. You know, that is, that is not the gospel. The gospel is, Jesus said, I am the only way. And if you're going to get in, it's going to get by me. And I expect you to follow me. Don't just DIY it, your, DIY it yourself. Do it yourself. Yeah. Don't DIY it yourself. Just follow me no matter how hard it gets. Do you know everyone one day is going to stand before God? You know that. Romans 14 says this, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, every one of us, shall give account of himself to God. That'll be a day. Some of us are really looking forward to that day, amen? I'm looking forward to it. So how can you be looking forward to it? Because I'm on the right side, amen? Go to Titus. You're in James. Go back to the book of Titus chapter 2. Back to the left of Hebrews. First and Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon. So right in the middle there. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Doesn't say fearing that blessed hope. It says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But I take that serious. And you just go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Back to the right, just a few pages. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men. And what's the next word? And holiness. Without which no man shall. Whew. You know, we got to take this thing serious. You don't have to be sinlessly perfect to see God, but there has to, have, has to have happened something in your life where you were made right. And that we're going to talk about. Revelation chapter 20 says there's a great white throne some people are going to appear at, from whose faith the, the earth and the heaven shall flee away, and there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in their books, that those books according to their works. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Every one of us are going to stand before God and, and face God, but some of us are going to stand by as family because we've been born again. But the majority of people are going to stand there in absolute terror and there's no place to run. And you want to try to live by your works, you will be judged by your works, and you will fail. And you will wish that you had another chance. You will wish that there was another opportunity for you to get born again, and it'll be too late. So what's wrong with our heart? Go back to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. 
Three things are wrong with our heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Most everybody knows this verse. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is, what's the first thing? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know just how far it'll go? Well, there are three things in that verse that I want you to see. Number one, your heart is a liar. <laughs> your heart will lie to you every time. I'm in love. No, you're not. You're in heat. Well, it's really not wrong what I'm doing. Then why are you doing it in the dark? Yeah. You know what James chapter 1, verse 14 says? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away, of, drawn away by his own lust. And he's enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, every one of us, when we go down a path and we start to do wrong, we wanted it. And we lie to our, ourselves in three, four ways. One of them, we says we won't get caught. No one will know. Number two, it won't be that bad. Amen. And number three, I can get right. You ever think about what the process is when you go through a sinful sequence of events that brings you to turn on that television or get onto that internet or hang with that friend and do that drug or take that drink or go and do whatever you feel like doing at that moment? You go, well, it, you know, it's not that bad. I, you know, if this goes wrong, I can always get right. You may not. Your heart will lie to you. Don't trust it. It is defiled. Your heart is ruined. You know, when, when two people come up to get married, you have two sinners that say, I do, amen? And when they're getting married, they have no idea what the other person is capable of doing. You realize how much you need God in a marriage? <laughs> amen. They're, the heart of those two people are depraved. They are defiled. You Listen, a girl should look for a young man who has battled against sin and won. You do not want to find a young man who has fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen into sin and has no character to get up. Amen. Ladies, if you don't want to be picking up the pieces for the rest of your life, taking care of not just little babies, but big one too, find you a godly man. Amen. And hold him to it. Used to be that guys expected girls to be godly. You're going to have to go looking for them now. Girl and guy's hearts are defiled. They have seen, they have tasted, they have touched, they have done such wrong. And it is grieving to know how are they going to survive, either spiritually or emotionally, in a relationship. Not just defiled. The words there in the Bible are desperately wicked. Man, that's not a nice scripture, Pastor. You know, our, our, our hearts are desperately wicked. You know what's in our heart? Let me read to you Mark chapter 7. Well, go ahead and go there. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 in verse 20.
Mark 7, 20 says, and he said, Jesus speaking, that which cometh out of the man, that's what defileth the man. For from within, out of the, talk to me, there it is, proceed every one of your evil thoughts. Every adultery that was ever committed was first done in the heart. Every fornication, that's, uh, that includes homosexuality and incest, and every type of sexual sin first started in the heart. Murders started in the heart. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, that's lust, and evil. You ever had anybody look at you? Something wrong in their heart towards you? Blasphemy towards God, pride, foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and they defile the man. All of those things you say, well, I, I, I don't battle this or that one. I have never done this or that. Well, let me tell you this. It's in there. It's like a seed and all you have to do is water it watching some stupid TV program or hanging around with some wicked friend who just comes along and waters that seed and up pups some sinful desire that you didn't know was in you. You know what's sad? We're used to all those things now. We laugh at it on television. Jokes, people's lives, you know, it's not just tolerated, it's applauded how people live today so wrongfully and so, so rebelliously against God. You know, women used to blush about how they dressed and what was being promoted about their bodies. And now a lady can't wait for somebody to notice them and how how they've, they've pushed the envelope at school, pulling up their, their uh, yeah, they have to wear a skirt, but now their skirts aren't skirts anymore. There's nothing there. People actually think it's immoral to walk away from a good, filthy joke or an opportunity to kiss. I think it's immoral to miss a good modern film. I've heard that term by these liberals, so it is immoral to make and force a woman to carry a child to birth. They stole our word. That's a Bible word. Immoral is from God, not from the government. And when you miss a modern film and you don't even know what it's about, or you, you didn't take that kiss, or you didn't try that, that, that drink, or you didn't do what everybody else was doing, they'll call you immoral? That is so weird. Men used to be gentlemen and worry about what they were talking about and what they were allowing their minds to think about. Not anymore. Now 12-year-olds are struggling with hundreds and hundreds of images of naked people in their head from the Internet that they will never be able to get rid of for the rest of their lives. I can tell you this. I'm just glad that, that God can cleanse and clean up wicked, sinful, defiled hearts. Amen. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. You know, it'd be good, it'd be good for this generation to fear God. Fear that we've got enough sin against us to condemn us to hell forever. Amen. And then run to Christ and say, what do we do? What do we do to get saved? We don't want to be under the wrath of God. Amen. That's what our generation needs. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, God asks and invites. Let us reason together. 
Sounds like a church service. Bible preaching church service. Saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. You ever, uh, you ever see the, the you know, murder mysteries and everything? You come into a room and there's a body there. And there's blood all under it. There's been a murder. Amen? You understand? And though your sins be as scarlet as that blood red, what does it say? They shall be as white as snow. Boy, I want to know about that. Though they be red like crimson, dark red, they shall be as wool like a lamb's wool. You know, um, it can be cleansed. Hebrews chapter 10, 10 shows us that there's a way for your sins and your iniquities to be remembered no more. Isn't that good? Amen. Let's talk about what is a pure heart. Your heart is the source of all your emotions and your reasoning behind them. It's the center of your soul. What everybody denies, everybody thinks you're just a bunch of chemicals cascading through sequences of, of responses that are left over from genetic mutations over the last 100 million years. But your heart is the very center of your soul, the source of all your affections and your passions. It, your heart is what loves and hates. It is what experiences joy and yet feels grief. It is what gets angry and laughs. It is what shows courage and yet runs. But the heart is not just feelings. It is also the record of those feelings. You better remember that. Because everything you do and everything you say and everything you feel, you ever notice how it just comes up? Starts playing inside your head some memories back long ago or even just three weeks ago and that guilt starts building. That heart has a way of remembering stuff and bringing it up and it is deadly. That's our conscience. It is an awareness of what we're doing. You cannot say, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. Yes, you did. You just loved it. <laughs> you know what your heart is, first of all? It is a clean conscience. I like that. It's not perfect. It's not that you've never sinned. But a pure heart is a heart that has been cleansed and purified from its sin. Cleaned up from all the evil thoughts, the adulteries, the fornications, the murders, the thefts, the covetousness, the wickedness, the deceit, the lasciviousness, the evil eyes, the blasphemy, the pride, the foolishness. You know, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.9, he says, holding the mystery of faith. That's this. I mean, it's a crazy mystery to be solved and understood and appreciated and loved and lived. Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. That's a good thing, amen? 2 Timothy 1.3 says, I thank God, Paul says, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Thank God anybody in this room can get a clean conscience. Amen? But it's not just a clean conscience. It's secondly, a clear conscience. You know, between us and God, there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of barriers that our sins have put up. And to have a clear conscience means all of everything that's separated between me and God is, a, is, is now apart, and I can go right to Him. And I can talk to Him, and there's no shame. There's nothing between us. 
There's no history. There's no bringing up the past. It's all clear. Amen. A clear conscience. No haunting worries about skeletons coming out of the closet someday. It's all under the blood. No constant lust for something other than a walk with God. All you want is God and all you get is God. Do you know why most people don't like reading their Bible? Do you know why most people don't like praying? You know why most people don't like being in church? Because you're wicked, selfish, sin-loving wretches. Amen. My sin does not like to be around and be told I need to do right. I need to be clean. I like my sin. Amen. If you were clean on the, on the inside, your communication with God would be clear, not static. The old movies. Kids today have no idea what static is. Some of us used to. I worked on the telephone company. I know what static is. You make a long-distance phone call. You call Grandma. Grandma. Is that you? Yeah, Grandma, can you hear me? Here, yell a little louder. She's on the other side. I don't think she can hear. Static on the phone line. Some of you have no idea what that is. We got a lot of static between us and God. If you, if you were clean on the inside, your time with God would be awesome. Your Bible reading would be thrilling. Your time with other believers would be precious. You wouldn't want to run out of here. You couldn't wait to be back on Sunday night. You couldn't wait to be together at anything. You say, that's just too much. It's too much going on. There's so many. This is where life is. Everything else doesn't matter compared to being like Christ. And Christ spent his time with the believers. Yes, there was work. Yes, there are kids to take care of. Yes, there's food to fix. But there's a time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And if you have, were clean on the inside, you will love it. When you're not clean, you won't want to be in church. Amen? What does the old saying say? Sin will keep you from that book, or that book will keep you from sin. It's your choice. It's a clear, clean conscience, a clear conscience, and it's a protected conscience. You know, a clear and a clean human heart does not exist in nature. Not naturally. Our nature, when we leave, leave our heart to itself, is dirty, filthy, selfish, self-serving, destructive. But if you ever get a clean heart, it must be protected. Because it's very fragile, which is my next point. It can be ruined with just one image, just one word from somebody that's important in your life. Choose your friends wisely. It is fragile. Now, there are two areas in your life to worry about. The first one is your standing with God. It's called your position in Christ. The question is, are you in Christ or are you in your sin? If you've been born again, you are perfectly washed and sanctified just by repenting and believing the gospel. Your standing before God is you're washed, you're cleansed, you're sanctified, you're justified, you're forgiven. Go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. It never happens by baptism. It never happens by church membership. It happens by faith. Acts chapter 15, verse 8.
You better worry about how God sees you before you worry about how your wife sees you or your kids or your friends. Acts chapter 15, verse 8. God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, talking about these new believers, these Gentile believers, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us Jews. Verse 9. And he put no difference between us and them. Watch these words. Purifying their hearts by faith. So the moment you believe, the moment you turn to God and you cried out, and you turned from your religiousness, you turned from your self-righteousness, you turned from your prayer life, you turned from your giving and your doing, and you just cling to Christ, and you just cry out and you say, God, with all my heart, I just trust you. From that moment, you were washed. You were clean. I don't know, maybe, maybe people have different degrees, I don't know, of it. When I got saved, I remember getting up off my knees. I felt different. Now, I don't put a lot of importance on feelings. But boy, if you've ever had a good bath after being filthy, you'll feel it. Amen? I didn't go to God and negotiate. I came to God as a dirty, rotten, filthy, hell-bound sinner. And I asked Him to wash me, cleanse me, and make me His child. And I kind of felt like He did it. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? How is anybody going to put anything on your credit, on, on your account, as if sinful? Because it is God that justifieth, not me. My sins have been paid for, forgiven, and I'm justified. But i got to worry about another area of my life, and that's my day-to-day -day living. Do you know born-again Christian hearts still get dirty? And they need to be constantly washed and cleansed and repented of on a practical level. See, give me an example. James chapter 3, I'm glad you asked. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 6. Is there anybody mute in here? Anybody unable to speak? No, nope, you're all able to speak. You all have a tongue, a mouth. All right, here we go. James chapter 3, in verse 6. The tongue is a what? Okay. A world of? Wow. So is the tongue among our members. That it, my tongue, can defile my whole body. And it setteth on fire the course of nature. Man, what trouble I can make happen. And is set. Where did I get my tongue? Fire from, it's set on the fire of hell. You know, our words need constant cleansing and cleaning. That's why we need to say we're sorry a lot. Amen? Matthew chapter 5, don't go there, but you have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I think our eyes need cleansing. Amen? You know, you can be saved. I'm saved 37 years. My wife still says, don't look. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Somebody else uh, walking down the street or something on television, go, I don't think this is a good one. I don't think it's going to be a good one either. Click, turn it off. Amen. Because I don't want my eyes to become part of that problem. Amen. Because they will. You realize Christians can become defiled on the inside? 
already read that. Well, I don't know if I did. Go to Hebrews. Back a few pages. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Yeah, I need to show you this. Hebrews 12, 15. Twelve fifteen says, looking diligently. That means being very aware, paying very close attention to your heart. Watch it. Lest any man, now he's writing to believers, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of what? Bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be what? You know, it wouldn't take very much for one bitter person to split the whole church and make a lot of people mad at each other. Amen. One bitter heart, many people defile. And those are Christians. Innocence lost is nothing to be proud of. But staying clean from sinful actions and not using filthy words and not knowing what is going on in the bedrooms of just about every deviant in the country is a great thing. Amen. I'm glad to be stupid about some things. Amen. Did you know Satan cannot ruin our salvation? He cannot defile what God did for me. But boy, can he ruin my life right now on a day-by-day basis, constantly making me fail to the point where I feel guilty and ashamed and hindered from being and doing what God saved me to be. Amen. No wonder Christians give up trying to follow Jesus. Satan won't let them rest. Let me race. A pure heart is supposed to be normal, not rare. Jesus speaks of purity as something normal amongst his people, just as normal as being humble, being empty for God, being soft, being meek, being mournful, being hungry for righteousness. That's the normal way to live in the kingdom, and it is normal to be pure in heart. Amen. I yearn for the next generation in this church to be godlier than this generation. Amen. If we're not doing that, then we're not doing biblical Christianity. So it should be normal. I'm going to hit your cow now. You ready? It ought to be normal for Bible-believing Christians to never touch a drop of cursed alcohol. Amen. It should be normal for no Christian to ever smoke a cancer stick of tobacco. It should be normal that Christians never watch a film of men and women undressing and seeing nakedness. Amen. It should be normal for young men and young women to remain virgins until their wedding night. That should be normal. It should be normal that Christians would never use filthy four-letter words. If you do use a filthy four-letter word like everybody else is doing, shame on you. Call yourself a Christian. It ought to be normal that it would never come out of your mouth. Amen. It should be normal for us Bible-even Christians to be pure and clean in how we dress and how we think and how we act. It should be normal. Romans. Romans 16. Romans chapter 16, verse 19. Romans 16, 19. For your your obedience has come abroad unto all men. Everybody knows about your walk with God, you're living obedient. 
I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise, smart, fully aware unto that which is good, and a simpleton concerning what? Amen. You know, it's good to actually be stupid about how sinful people are today. I don't, uh, we don't pick up the paper. Um, I mean, one of the things that I noticed when we got here to Ireland, it wasn't true in America at the time, but open it up, page three in the newspapers. What went wrong in Ireland? I don't know. But it began there. And children, we, we thought, I, we were doing homeschool, and I started bringing the newspaper home, you know, and said, we're going to do current events until they were talking about stuff. Bill Clinton and his little escapades in the White House we're in the front page, descriptive, beyond measure. You couldn't imagine that they were saying what they said on the front page of the newspaper. We decided there's no current events going on in this house. We're staying in the past. <laughs> Amen. Because they don't, listen, that defiles. And I just want to stay simple. You know what? We have so many snakes in Christianity instead of innocent lambs. Jesus said, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Let's stay lambs, amen? Let's just stay a little innocent. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on over there, amen? Now, I'm wise toward what is good and right. And I'm not stupid about oncoming trouble. I mean, I know how dangerous a car is. I know how dangerous sin is. But I don't need to know all the details, amen? It should be normal for Christians to be weird. The Bible word is peculiar. Let me finish up here. It is worthy staying pure. It is worthwhile staying pure. Do you know if, you're, if you decide to be pure in heart, you know what that helps? Your life will follow. Clean the cup on the inside and the outside will end up clean. It just happens. If you're trying to clean up on the outside, ladies, if you're putting on that foundation six inches thick, and then the mascara, and then the eyelashes, and then the hair coloring, I'm talking to the girls for a minute, I'll get to the guys in a second. And you're putting on all of that, what are you hiding? A wicked heart. Amen. Do you know, if you just, if you live a godly life, where if your joy comes from the Lord, if you just love God, love His Word, love His Son, love His people, love serving, guys will kill to get, get you as their girlfriend and their husband, their, uh, you as their wife. They will. Because guys like clean. My guys are filthy, but they like a clean girl. Girls are like, well, you know, if I don't put myself out there, I'm not going to get a guy. You better learn to trust God. Because he's got somebody for you. And you're not responsible for catching him. Because if you can catch him, so can the next girl. If you just decide that one day that I'm going to wait for Mr. Wright so that you can walk down that aisle and you can be in a pure white dress and know that it's not a lie. You're blessed. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because you're blessed. You're better off. See, the, the weddings today aren't, they're just, they're just, they're just a shame. Most people carry such wicked memories and wicked acts in their head. They can't, you know, most people can't even lay down and go to sleep at night because of guilt, because of worry, because of sin. 
Now, I'm glad that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse that. And I'm glad that, that um, God's a God of second chances. But let me tell you, don't push it. Because the grace of God is no excuse for you to just take advantage of it. Jesus says it's worth staying pure because you're better off. Uh, you know, your marriage will be better than Hollywood ever could allow you to believe if you'll just do things right. Your sleep will be better. Your money will go further. Your children one day will rise up and call you blessed. Amen. Instead of cursing you. I hated it here. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, you'll be used to God. You know, sin will keep us from being able to be used for his purpose. Just like one of those cups, you go over there, here's Tunde. Tunde's grabbing cups as fast as he can. And it'd be sad if some people were putting their cups back in the, in the pile where he's drawing it out of. And he grabs one of those cups and it's sloshing around and he goes, that's ah, okay. And he puts your tea bag in there and he says, here. And you go, no, I want a clean one. And God looks around at his people and he's looking for somebody clean to use. Amen. You're not going to use somebody that's just spent all Saturday night in sin. Would you send your children off to school with, a dirty, with dirty unwashed clothes and unwashing faces? No, you want to clean them up, man. You wouldn't head off to work stinking like a waste bin. <laughs> your boss would stay a mile away from you, amen? Wouldn't use you. Go home, go home, go home. But a clean record will get you hired by the army. A clean record will get you hired by the Garda. A clean record, a, a, a company looking for a new CEO or somebody to manage their, their financial office, sort of like that. They're looking for somebody who's got a good record, amen? Keep your record clean. Because of salvation, you'll get the greatest reward ever. Imaginable. You'll get to see God. It's the ultimate wish. You know, there are people that spent decades looking for the, for the, the, the start of the Nile River and found it finally in, in, in Lake Victoria, by Victoria Falls, in, in southern, towards southern Africa. They went thousands of miles. They're still looking for the head of Amazon River. They quite haven't figured it out. They go searching for these things. Back about 500 years ago, they, they had people that were looking for the city of gold. They spent tons of money, lost a lot of people looking for this place made out of solid gold. The ultimate wish is to see God. It's in all of us. Let me show you something here. If you go to Job chapter 19, just before Psalms, Job chapter 19, verse 26. Job's going through the darkest time of his life. Job 19 and verse 26. Job 19, 26, and though after my skin, talk about when he's dead, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh one day shall I see who? whom I shall see for myself and my eyes, even though they've been dead and buried. This is called the resurrection. He says, my very eyes shall behold, and not another's going to look at him. I will look at him, though my reins, my life be consumed within me. Psalm 17. Next book to the right, Psalm 17. Psalm 17, 15. Job looked forward to it. David looked forward to it. 
As for me, one of these days I will behold, talking to God, thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I, when I awake with thy likeness. 1 John 3, don't go there, says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, cleans himself, works on personal holiness. I don't have to work on getting saved, but I do have to work on trying to stay clean on my day-to-day -day day -day life. Just listen. Um, uh, one of the most normal and natural things for a Christian to want to do is to stay and ho stay holy. It is normal. It is right to say, "I'm sorry, guys. I can't. I can't do that anymore. I used to go doing with that with you years ago, and I used to go watch that. And I used to go drink that. And I used to go smoke that. But I don't want to defile this body anymore. This body belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. This mind and this heart belongs to God." My family does not deserve me turning its back on them and me going after the world for a little bit because I'm going against God. Because I want to see him without shame. I want to see him without embarrassment. How do you get and keep a pure heart? Number one, draw near to God. James 4, the more time you spend, and I really, you say, I don't feel like anything happens when I'm, Praying or reading my Bible. Something is always happening. Because the Bible says, draw nigh to God. Right after Hebrews, James chapter 4 and verse 8. We are invited to draw near to Him because when you really get near to Him, something happens. You don't feel better about yourself. You know what you do? You feel badder. And all of a sudden you're like, God, please cleanse me. God, please forgive me. When Isaiah stood before God... He saw the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and Isaiah said, i got to get out of here. I don't belong here. And the Lord sent an angel to him and touched his mouth. He says, you all right now? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, not anymore. I just cleansed you. Come on up closer now. Wow, whatever is keeping you from spending time with God, spending time with God will break it down. Draw nigh to God, the Bible says. And he, as you draw closer to him, he gets closer to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Take it seriously. As you closer, you're like, man, i got to get it right. Secondly, spend time in the Bible. You know, the more you read and hear and believe and obey the words of Jesus, they clean you. John, now, Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15 and verse 3. Now are ye clean through the baptism. No. Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Just listen. Just letting. It's, it's, I, I can't explain it other than it's an inside bath. The more you put this in, the more it just washes and cleanses and makes you feel clean. See, I didn't get anything from it. Yes, you did. You got cleaner. Amen? Well, I didn't understand it. You didn't analyze your bath today, did you? Or your shower. You just let it wash. So sometimes you just let it work. Here's another important thing. 
Believe the blood will cleanse your sinful thoughts in your past. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. Hebrews 9, 13. In the old days, I read about Christians struggling with sin, struggling. Their sins were nothing like the sins we struggle with. But when they struggled with sin, old-time Christians would do something they call pleading the blood, which means having an intense resolution to just trust that the blood could cleanse their sin. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is not finished. It's eternal. It didn't dry up and wash away. It is eternal. It's still working. Look at your Bible. And it says, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, Forth the blood of bulls and goats under the Old Testament, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, if it sanctifieth, if it cleanses to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall it purge your, what? All those stupid thoughts going inside of your head and your heart. Purge your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. I'm glad that the blood can purge, wash away, cleanse my thoughts. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Thirdly, be careful what you allow yourself to get into. Be careful of what you do with your eyes and your ears and your hands and your imagination and your desires and your free time. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts. Hmm. You know, things you enjoy, you're going to have to walk away from. Follow good things. It goes on and says, But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Follow things that make for a pure heart. How about purging some bad influences? Some people get rid of the television. Some people get rid of the internet. Some people get rid of the bad friends. Whatever you have to do, if you really valued the blessing on a pure heart, you'd do what was necessary. You know what the Bible says? You ought to, you ought to limit what you think about each other. Listen to Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are, ho are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, I think on these things. It doesn't say, and then you can go back to thinking on the other things. <laughs> it says, think on the right things. How about Psalm 103, verse, uh, verse 101, verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I limit what I watch. You're in Hebrews. Go to the, go to the right first. Uh, go to James chapter 1, last verse. James chapter 1 and verse 27. James 1, 27. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, James 1, 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to serve others, but watch this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Stay that way. You get cleaned up, stay that way. 
Andrew, you're going to learn that. You're going to get, I don't know how you're going to do it. You're going to get two kids simultaneously ready for church. And they're both going to be boys. You know what that means? You've got to lock all the doors. Because if they can get out, they'll get out. And there'll be a competition who can get dirty the fastest. I just got you dressed. Stay clean. Hey, that's true for a Christian, too. You're getting stuff this morning. I'm trying to upset you on purpose. I'm trying to get you so you don't ever forget this message. So that you go out of here, and as soon as the devil starts putting on the, the filth and starts putting on the, the attraction and the, the lure and the deception, and you remember, you say, I'm not going down that path. I just got cleaned. <laughs> I got cleaned at church. I got, I got beat up. I got uh, upset. And I got right with God. And the last thing I want to do is not just walk back into sin. Stay clean. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. It's very important to have a pure heart. Because one of the days you're going to stand before God, you're going to wish you had it. How's your heart? Is it deceitful? I bet it is. Is it depraved? Is it defiled? Oh, you bet it is. Is it desperately wicked? Yes. But a pure heart is worth having, even though it's very fragile. I want you to know uh, that you, I want you to remember how you got it clean. By drawing nigh to God. By just letting the Bible, man, coming to church, hearing the Bible, reading it on your own, listening to it on the, re, on, on the CD or, I was going to say cassette tape, that doesn't exist anymore. Believing in the blood will cleanse your sin for thoughts and lusts. Just by being careful what you allow yourself to do. It is very fragile. I hope you realize it's supposed to be normal. I don't care whether everybody laughs at us. I don't care if we step further and further weirder than the rest of the world. It's really not us that's changing, is it? The world is changing. Having a pure heart is worth it. You're already blessed. Once, once you got saved, you, do you realize you are different? You are, you've been made clean. You're already blessed. But it only gets better and better. Lastly, I don't want to ask, does anybody want to be clean? You've got to want this. Jesus is talking to a crowd. He says, blessed are you when, you're, when you have a pure heart. And a lot of them are going, I, I think my heart's pure, but I want it. Do you? Let's stand, let's bow in prayer. We're going to pray in just a minute, but I want you to start praying silently with your eyes closed. I want you to start thinking about, Lord, ask the Lord to bring something to your heart, to your mind about what you allow yourself to just do without even thinking, and you know it's wrong, and you got to say, Lord, I'm so sorry for allowing that to defile my heart, take me down a, a path that gets me more and more defiled, and I'm sorry, whether it's bitterness, whether it is, whether it's... Um, Frustration, whether it's anger, whether it is the internet, whether it is lust, whether it is friends. Take a moment and just think about what is the devil just dropping in your lap all the time? And you're just taking the bait. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, you can't clean yourself up. But this book can, the blood of Jesus Christ can. Preaching can do a lot going, helping you so that you let God wash you and make, make you clean.
But it all begins with Jesus. If you've not been saved or born again, let me tell you, one of these days you will stand before God and you will see him as he is and it will burn you to a crisp. It's called hell. That side of God is not to be wanted. You say, how can God, uh, God will? Because he's right, he's righteous, he's holy, and you're not. And if you don't want to face God as a sinner, I'd get saved today. But if you want to be blessed beyond measure, why don't you change the way you look at sin in your life and say, Lord, I want to live so that my heart is pure. I don't want to just look nice on the outside. I'd like to be clean on the inside. I'm a hypocrite. And today I stop. Father, we do ask you to take this message as best as I know how. I try to just talk plain. I pray your Holy Spirit went further and brought change. Pray we want, Lord, to be clean and stay clean on the inside. First, by getting saved. That was a great day, 37 years for me, but wow, I don't want to go back to sin, continue in sin now. I, I want to be clean. I want to stay clean. Because you're worth it. And it's better than I could ever imagine. So bless the word to your, to your people now. In Jesus' name, amen.